Hello everyone, I am Alex Majorana. And I'm Sydney Lynch. And this is Little Known Tracks. Today, we chat with Karnig Manukian, the guitarist and producer for alternative rock band Charming Liars. Mostly from the UK and based in LA, Charming Liars made their way from cover band at a school show to touring all over the world. The band works to create an experience for the audience at their shows, with live music serving as a primary inspiration for their music. With high hopes for the upcoming year, they plan on releasing a song a month throughout 2021. Without further ado, Pieces by Charming Liars. Love turned to blood before my eyes, before my eyes, it rained down.
So, uh, Carnig, thank you so much for being on with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so the first thing I think we're a little bit curious about is we asked for your hobbies and you said beef and steaks. Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't know how, how much detail I was supposed to put. So sometimes I'd go all out and sometimes I just put a couple words. But yeah, beef and steaks. That's why not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. is, it, is it just the eating part of beef and steaks that you enjoy or do you cook anything else? No, yeah. Those lines? I do a lot of... Uh, I do a lot of barbecuing and I'm actually, I'm aging meat as well. You're aging meat. What's yeah, that so process aging. like? Oh, it's, it, you actually just let it happen. You know, you, you, you have to just get the right, the right tools and then uh, uh, the right beef. So, so basically in the last like eight months or 10 months, I'm a, I'm a big eater anyway, but I was mostly just eating. And uh, during the first sort of lockdown, I just thought, you know, maybe I'll get a barbecue. And then, uh, then I said, like, okay, so now I've got the barbecue. I'll get some charcoals. Okay, so cool. There's a lot of different charcoals. That's great. So I'll just buy the one that seems to have the best reviews. And then it's like, okay, so I love beef. So I'll just get some beef. And then the beef was great. And I was like, wow, this is this tastes really good on the fire. So then I'll get some more beef. And I started experimenting with beef. And then I realized I can age beef. And so it's like a, it's like a domino effect starting from quarantine. So the interest in beef and steaks came from not being able to do anything else. Yeah, pretty much. We were on, we were on, we were on tour in Europe and then, uh, you know, things got canceled and postponed. And so we all flew back to uh, uh, California, which is where we live. And um, uh, I love steak in general. And I've always kind of been a big eater. I think I eat too much red meat and I have to actually eat less because it's not good for me. But um we had a lot of time, so it's like, you know, it's got a, we actually had to quarantine for like 14 days and that was, no one really knew what was going on, right? So everyone took it quite, not that you don't take it seriously now, but back then it was like, oh, if I leave my house, I'll die or whatever. So, so literally didn't leave the house and just ordered stuff, you know, and played around. So that's, we had everything to do and all the time to do it, so. Did you pick up any kind of other hobbies while you were in the beginning stage of quarantine? uh not really uh it takes a lot of time that, that eating and cooking and researching uh but then oh, i have my own studio so uh after about a week i was like i'm sure i could get in my car and drive to my studio without dying so so, so i would go to my studio and then once i realized i could do that it was just a bit you know just get back to the routine of of being creative and recording and then after about a couple of weeks, I convinced our, our singer to come into the studio as well because, you know, no one knew what was going on. So he came in like three masks and then and then we sort of uh, got back to normal, you know, social distancing in the studio, but somehow uh, getting being creative. So after that happens, the routine sort of came back in and, and there wasn't as much uh, free time. So... What would you say is your favorite food, both to eat just in general and to make yourself? I mean, I would, I, I guess steak. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't really cook. I, I honestly don't cook. Like if I look at a pan, I'm like, oh, you know, what <laughs> happens in there? But um, I have an obsession with, uh, with like wood and fire, pretty much. So I feel a bit more confident in that sort of 
in that realm of things. Uh, but, you know, uh, that's pretty much it. I, mean, I don't know how to cook. I can cook eggs. You know, I can cook some eggs and, and bacon. I can do bacon. Um, but that's about it. It's so useless apart from apart from being on the grill. That's what I learned about myself. Do any of your bandmates cook? Uh, you know what? No. <laughs> One of, what, there's, there's only three of us in the band. In the actual band, there's three of us. One of the one of the people, one of the guys, the bass player, who's also English, um, he only eats like four or five types of food. He's what you'd call a difficult eater and it's been like that from like since he was young and so he eats like things with ketchup you know he eats spaghetti with ketchup he'll have eggs with ketchup i know i know and and, and he has to have mcdonald's he loves mcdonald's um and it's weird like like he i think he loves mcdonald's and sometimes when he has other burgers i think it doesn't sit well in his stomach because his stomach is so used to mcdonald's oh wow that's such a strange <laughs> thing to just get attached to but yeah 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 so when you guys are on the road i guess food and like mcdonald's is a frequent stop like how do you accommodate that kind of yeah well mcdonald's is so prevalent now that first of all anywhere that we play somehow there's a mcdonald's nearby number one number two most gas stations that we stop at have a McDonald's somewhere in there. If it's not in the building, it's like adjacent building. So he doesn't like say, he never inconveniences anyone by saying like, he has to have McDonald's. He just knows that like two or three times a day, we're gonna literally plot ourselves in front of a building which and there's a McDonald's somewhere. And so as we go and get our Mexican or Chinese or sandwiches or whatever, he literally runs to a McDonald's and, and and before we're back in like in our vehicle or van or whatever it is, he's already in there and he's already had his double cheeseburger and uh, he's done. He's, he's ready to hit the road again. So it's, it's like no inconvenience to anyone, but it's gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's this yeah, sounds yeah. like a lot of McDonald's for a single person. The red meat, he has the McDonald's. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's like, you don't even... You, you don't know. You know. No, I mean, look, I, I used to eat like red meat maybe like four or five times a week. Now I do it. I try and do it at least just once a week, you know, but he, but he's like McDonald's is like, if he doesn't have McDonald's in a couple of days, I think he gets cranky. So uh, some would say it's an addiction. Oh my goodness. So sorry. <laughs> Real quick question for you while we're still on food. Have you ever considered becoming a vegetarian? <laughs> but I'll tell you something. If I had, if the gun was to my head, I would probably do uh, vegetarian or vegan. <laughs> because vegetarians still have like pizza and they have pasta and they have dairy and they have eggs and all that stuff. I think the vegan stuff is like, I don't know what you guys are into or whatever, but I think it becomes a pain in the ass for the rest of the group, guys. <laughs> you know? That's what I think. It's like you're, you're at dinner and like wherever you are and it's like, all right, we should get some of this or let's get some of this. What do you want? It's like, oh, well, actually, I can't eat any of that. It's just like, wow, what a, like a mood buster, you know? Like you just, okay, so we'll just be festive over here and then you can have your peas over there. 
you know but that's my opinion <laughs> that's my opinion on that so no i would never i would never become a vegetarian but if i had to add a vegan or vegetarian i would definitely go vegetarian yeah vegetarian food unlike mcdonald's is not everywhere <laughs> salads i mean salads salads like there's a lot of good stuff there's a lot of good i actually do i'll do three or four days in the week where i can actually go vegetarian but i just know that like on the fourth day i've got that that sort of dreamland of like i'm gonna have a massive steak so it's like build up to that and so it works in my mind but if i knew that there was no moment in the week where i was gonna have like that satisfaction i don't think i could do the vegetarian so you know that's how i see it in my mind <laughs> so you talked a little bit about your bass player and how he's been like this since he was a kid so tell us a little bit about how you met him and kind of started music uh yeah we, we well i was in a band with another guy and uh we had a different bass player back in england when we were about 15 and uh, the other guy was just absolutely terrible uh so we we asked the drummer who we didn't know that well you know it was like kids just trying to like meet other musicians on i can't remember myspace i don't know what it was but um and he said oh no i got i actually know a guy who goes to school nearby and he plays guitar and bass uh we should get him in so he came in and he was wearing like a pink he was wearing pink vans and like a blazer and we were like into like we were much heavier than we were hard rock and a bit of screaming and like guitar riffs and things and so he walks in i was like who is this dude i mean I'm not that I'm like, I'm like definitely not a, I'm, I'm more, I'm definitely on the more posh side of things, but I looked at him, I was like, who is this guy? Like, what's he going to do to our band? You know? And it was just a looks thing. Cause then when he started playing the bass, he was like, we loved all the same music. So, um, and then we've pretty much been playing music together since then. So it's been a long time and, uh, we were touring the UK a lot when we were kids. Um, uh, literally when we were like 15 and 16 missing school to go and play these shitty pub shows you know we thought they were like the best thing in the world um and then we just and then we, we slowly moved to america about t about nine ten years ago so um yeah it was like it was like a, a meeting through a, through our drummer and and then we just kind of stuck it's like you form these um these relationships with these people where it's like it's like family almost closer than family so you have the arguments you have the the loving moments and and just you just kind of stick through it together through you know thick and thin and uh, i think it means something you know when we write music now and we record music now it's definitely like a very fluid process you know everyone knows their roles and and uh, it's just like when we like if i think of myself 10 years ago writing and recording music oh it was like just like going to the dentist you know, like having your teeth cleaned. <laughs> and and um, now it's like a way better process. But yeah, it's time. So that's what happens when, you, when you've known someone for like, I'm not going to say how many years, but definitely over 10. Yes. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up and kind of decided to pursue music. Yeah, I was just, you know, I was in school and, and I wanted, and I was like, I had a group of friends and we weren't like, necessarily the cool kids we weren't like the outcasts but you know there was like a music rehearsal room in our school when we were I guess high school it's the equivalent of high school when we were about 14 years old and we were like oh let's you know let's how do we impress like the the, the chicks in the years above us you know that was literally as it was literally as synthetic and stupid as that we're like what what do we do like how do we become cool and um 
So we thought, let's just like be a cover band. That's cool, <laughs> right? And how late? <laughs> but we were like, let's be in a cover band and we'll play in the school rock gig. We'll play in the school rock concert, which happens once a year. So we'll prep all year for that one trashy, crappy show uh, in front of like a hundred people who don't give two hoots. Um, and that was it. We were like, let's let's do that. It's cool. It'll be cool, you know. <laughs> that's how we formed. But everyone in that band, I'm not in. I obviously don't play with any of those guys anymore. But that's what started me. And then I started to like learn to play guitar. And I played it my first gig without actually knowing how to play the guitar. That was bad. Uh, and then you just learn from guitar tab books and you know and like I guess now it's all online. But at the time it was, it was like near the end of the tablature books where you used to go to the shop and buy like your favorite album guitar book, you know, and learn like the Blink-182 riffs and all those things. And that's how it started. Like, how do we impress people? <laughs> and it, I, ironically, it wasn't impressive. So that's the funny <laughs> thing. Uh, and it just went from there. You know, you just learn and you become better. And you're like, wow, this is cool. This is like, this is great. It's a good feeling. And then once you learn to play guitar properly, it's like, oh, this is even better. So uh, that was pretty much it. That's how we got our start. <laughs> So when you started touring at 15, 16, was it this cover band or did no, you no, start it, writing music at that point? Yeah, yeah. We, I, I like, like six months after we started, we decided let's impress people. I thought, let me just like learn some riffs, you know? And then uh, we were playing garbage original music. Um, and it, like, we think we did our first gig outside of school at 15. And then, which was actually sold out, which is great because we basically sold tickets in the school. And everyone bought tickets so like we played our salt like i didn't play another sold out show until like six years later <laughs> but um uh yeah we just we just played our first show outside of school and then swapped a couple members because i was like hey i want to travel 10 hours up north and in england and play a show there and that's when like half the band were like what do you mean like this is a cover band and we're playing at school and so then i had to find and then we had to find sort of like you know players and that's like when I was at that time I met the bass player who's you know so I've known him for a long time but it all started from the cover band thing and then and then uh just sort of played our first show and then we realized that's a pretty cool feeling you know even at that age when you're stuck at your instruments it was just still you still have people in front of you people who are still watching you so that was kind of like the infancy of this I guess which is kind of crazy so what were some of uh what were some of your go-to covers for your old well, like, old band? Depends. Like I I don't know you like do you guys like rock music? What's your background? Or like is it pop music? Is it R and B? Is it alternative? We're all over the place. Yeah, we're <laughs> a little bit of everything. Okay, what does the used mean to you? Do you know the who the used are? Yeah. Do you like the used? I'm aware of the used. They're not okay, okay, a frequent. Right. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, they had a song like like over 10 years ago, which was huge for them. It was called Taste of Ink. And uh, and so we played that song and then we, there was another band. Actually, looking back, it's quite niche stuff. But at the time, it was like everything for us. You know, that's how it is. Uh, so it was nothing like, I never played like Bon Jovi. I didn't play any like massive tunes. It was more like the bands that we loved will go and play those songs. You know, which again is like not a good idea when you're playing a cover show, right? But <laughs> you don't know at the time. So you're playing these like bullshitty, like niche songs and no one had any clue. Um, so nothing famous, nothing like, I would have done Nickelback though. I probably would have done Nickelback. I promise you that I love Nickelback. So, <laughs> but yeah, so nothing famous. When you were touring with your bassist, 
and you guys kind of decided that you were you were done. You needed to move to a bigger place. Uh, was the intent to find someone uh, in L.A. to like kind of supplement the band? You mean like uh, as a singer? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we actually moved me and we uh, we actually moved over with our previous singer, who is who I went to school with. So the three of us moved over as a sort of British trio, and we we uh, so as the band we moved over and we had a singer at the time, um, and we spent the first couple of years here with that singer. We we went to Nashville, spent a couple of months doing learning how to write songs. We went we did a lot of co-writing in LA, getting linked up with all these great songwriters, uh, you know, signing demo deals, record deals, and um, so we kind of spent the first couple of years just learning the ropes and. And we did a couple tours with that formation, um, so we toured. We did. We toured with some great bands, you know, when we were when we were when we first moved out here, and uh, we were a bit more hard rock at the time. And then things change, you know, and 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 we're living in LA, and so then we have to find uh, some, you know, a new person to lead the band and to sing, and and so we just went on a search and we asked everyone and we spoke about it with friends and it was just like. We spent a couple of months just kind of trying to find someone that could complement what we do, uh, and you know naturally that that person was going to be from LA, and and we were okay with that. You know we were okay with that. We 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 bring enough sort of British attitude and, and personality to you know whether you know to the to the music to the live show uh, to interviews I guess, and just the overall perception of the band is has a good British feel to it. But why not have sort you know this sort of American personality come in and sort of balance it out. So it was a no-brainer for us, and it was just about finding the right person. So how did you go about finding him? Yeah, I literally just asked. We 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 there was you know living in LA and touring and and getting to know people. You have you end up having a lot of connections and a lot of you have a lot of friends who are in bands and a lot of friends who you know managers and agents and a lot of shows happening. So you're seeing a lot of the players, a lot of the singers playing in these clubs. You know, like we were doing at the time. Uh, and so it was just like word of mouth thing and asking around and we saw I, I was just getting sent links from friends like hey check out this dude and and so I checked out quite a few different people and different links and different YouTube videos and you know there's a lot of great stuff out there but finding a new singer is quite a task you know you can't just settle on someone so it was you know I got sent this link to this guy who was like in a hard rock band playing the house of blues like okay cool he's playing the house of blues so you know he's playing on some decent stages in front of decent crowds and i open the video and it's like this guy who's you know obviously a great singer but he's got he's wearing like a a leather um waistcoat and like and nothing underneath the waistcoat you know with like jeans tight jeans and boots so i'm like oh, this is not the guy i mean this guy's a great singer but he's way too sort of like rock and roll you know, like, yeah, guy for us. Uh, but then, you know, one of those suggested like videos on the side, you know, it was like one of the suggested things on YouTube was like the same guy, but it looked a bit more sort of like <laughs> a bit more, you know, dressed a bit better, you know, a bit more normal, I guess. And he's doing an acoustic cover, like some acoustic cover. Like, let me, let me press on that. And it, and, it, and it was the same guy, but he looked just, you know, kind of more appropriate for what we were looking for. And he sang a cover, I think it was a, a, of a Beatles song or a Rolling Stones song, one of the two. And he just, it was such a beautiful cover. And the way he sung it, I was like, wow, like that's literally the same guy. But this guy could definitely sort of compliment what we're doing. 
you know? So then I re literally reached out to him just based off of that video. Uh, and we still joke today about that other video, which is terrible. Um, but then I, then, I, then I think fondly of the, of, the, of the video that sort of <laughs> changed my mind. But yeah, it was like, it was literally just by chance that I, something suggested, a video that was suggested and it just kind of like definitely caught my attention and then that was it. We sort of reached out and then the rest is, you know, mild history, I guess. So we keep the singer clothes now, right? That's. I mean, look, if he's not, if he's not wearing a shirt, it's not for a performance. <laughs> no, you know what, to be fair, to be fair, he, when we, we did, we have done shows in places like Mexico and like Brazil where it has been ridiculously hot and, and like, if, if his shirt has ended off, you know, it's, it's not a sort of like, look at me vibe. It's more sort of appropriate and the crowd's into it, you know, it's not, and he, and he doesn't look the same. He doesn't have the same. He also had like kind of very sort of throwback hair, you know, with the throwback long sort of like rock and roll hair. So he doesn't have that now. He's got shorter hair now. So if he's taking off his shirt now, I don't think it looks as gimmicky, you know? So if he wants to do it, he's his own man. He can do it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm all game, whatever. He doesn't, he doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. So what was it like, you said you worked with a lot of songwriters uh, after moving to LA, working with people like John Feldman, who's so accomplished and who's worked with, you know, so many people. What was that process like, you know, connecting oh, yes. with all the people within LA? Uh, that was interesting, actually. He's the first guy that we actually reached out to on MySpace in 2010. So yeah, almost like, yeah, over 10 years ago. And um, he actually got back to us randomly. He was like, hey, yeah, guys, like you guys should come to LA and hit me up. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll come to LA. And then we hit him up when we got to LA and he was like, all right, come over, <laughs> it's so random. So we went over to his house and met with him for a couple of hours and uh, he made us something vegan because he's vegan. But um, he made us something vegan and we chatted and then like Pete Wentz just walks in and we're like, hmm. Such such individual is a is Pete Wentz. That's interesting, um, and he and you know we chatted with him for a bit, and that definitely were like this is sick. This is like the best day of our lives, um, and then we like and then he said you know you know you you guys are cool. Like I like some of the demos, blah blah blah. And then he said you guys should come back in a couple of months and like we spent some time just working on some songs and and we did that. So we came back and we co-wrote some songs with him and spent a couple of weeks with him, and we were pretty fresh. You know we like. We hadn't been to Nashville. We hadn't really learned how to write songs properly, um, but we we dove, we dove straight in there, and and uh, it was definitely an eye-opening experience. Uh, but you know, ironically, he's not—he wasn't what he is now. You know, this is 2010. So I mentioned the band that used. He was basically responsible for for producing their first couple records and basically being involved in in making that band big at the time. So that was one of the reasons why we kind of wanted to work with him because because of the use. So when we met with him, it was pretty intimidating, but he was doing much more hard rock stuff. And now he's sort of like, you know, he's done everything from five seconds of summer to Blink-182 to, you know, so he's definitely, he definitely has had some big records in the last five years, uh, but he was a bit more niche back then. And that's what, that was sort of the appeal. Um, yeah, it was interesting, actually. You know, I've, we work with quite a lot of producers and, and, and he's great at what he does, you know. Um, but I think every producer has a way of working and every artist sort of has a way of working when it comes to these things. And sometimes 
you know things that are fluid sometimes they're not fluid and and I wouldn't say working with him was the easiest thing in the world um but you know I guess if you look at not that anyone's ever going to hear those songs because no one's going to hear those songs we never released them um and that wasn't because of us you know it was because the record label that had commissioned those songs at the time didn't want to pick up the option to sign us so um it was an interesting time yeah but i do we definitely it was definitely a learning process on how to sort of write and 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 i do a lot of production now so uh for other artists as well and it's like it's a good learning curve you know so you guys have worked with a lot of producers, but you've also worked with a lot of other bands, like touring-wise. Uh, what is that kind of like? Because you told us that live music was one of the big things for you. So what is it like to be able to <laughs> yeah. perform with these huge um, I mean, bands and I, artists? I feel like I don't see that enough on like inspiration, question, answer things. Like... Every time I go to a show, like before this, before 2020, obviously, every time I go to a show, I feel like, like, just like, whoa, like, unless it's a shit show, you know, but like, you know, you go to, you know, these big arenas and these big theaters, you're seeing these bands with all this production and, and these lights and these great singers and front men and just like loud music. And it's just like, it's just inspiring, you know, it's like makes you want to go literally leave, go to the studio and just like, try and compete with those bands you know of course experiences inspire and and relationships and feelings and and upbringing and and whatever all that stuff inspires but every time i go to a show every time we go to a show even as like in the band like we'll we'll watch these shows we'll get ideas we'll get lighting ideas for our shows even though we can't replicate you know on, on the stage that size we'll say oh you know we can do that on, at, at our small club show like we it gives us ideas and then like watching these great vocalists, you know, perform just makes, you know, it like kind of reinvigorates us. So um, you're playing with those big bands as well, like from the side of the stage, which is like an absolute, you know, like it's like an incredible moment when we tour with these bands, like we have in the last five years, just watching them and learning from them. And th those are like, those are some of the best moments, you know, and, and again, that gives us the inspiration to sort of, go and do better and reach those heights and, and, and we see what we're up against. Like we see what level we have to get to in order to sort of play in front of that many people. So it's definitely eye opening. Does that translate to when you're on stage and that inspiration kind of breaking through? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes. The, the easiest way to think about that is like, Oh, you know, we'll take, we'll just see what they're doing and we'll try and replicate it on our stage, you know, but when it comes to the performance, you know, we're all, our, you know, the three of us are all sort of, we all have our own personalities and, and Killian, our singer, is, is, has a lot of, lot of inspiration and sort of influence from, you know, the 70s and the 80s. And myself, I, I literally didn't listen to music until the 2000s. You know, I didn't have that influence to show me or to play me, you know, this Elton John song or the Beatles song or anything like that. I got, I was just straight in when I was, you know, it's just a young kid listening to Eminem or Papa Roach or Linkin Park or System of a Down, literally. So that's what that was like my first introduction to music. And so that's kind of that, that definitely has an impact on how I see things. And then he's from he's his inspiration comes from the 70s and the 80s and his favorite singers are from that era. And, you know, and then Michael basically loves a lot of electronic music, you know, so 
it's like we all have these different inspirations and and upbringings and um uh when we go on stage i think that that some people can see it i think you know by the way we move by the way we perform and and, and how we set up our sets and how we transition in songs and a lot of those technical aspects we definitely take you know the best parts of what we've seen and we try and make it better you know so how does that translate into when you guys are writing together with all these you know different inspirations and from different times the writing is interesting i mean you know a lot of it comes from like you know a lyrical start and and uh you know sometimes it comes from a melody idea or it comes from a drum beat and i think it's 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 hard to i think it's hard to elaborate on the on like how we get to the finished product i think we just kind of we each have our own likes and dislikes and our, our own sort of uh process and, and like the ultimate sound of what we want our songs to be in the ultimate production and feel and we don't try we, we never you know sometimes we'll say oh you know what this reminds me of and i'm like don't say it just don't i don't want to hear it you know because I, I I literally don't listen to much music, you know I I I'm not really in tune with what's going on, uh, you know in 2021 in terms of new music coming out. So it's kind of I just you know sometimes riff comes to my mind and I'll make a voice note or a beat comes to my mind or a vocal melody comes to my mind and then I'll send it to Killian and he'll you know he'll have a lyrical idea that he's already had for a year and then suddenly it works with that and then next time we're in the studio you know I'll show him a template of what I put down. And he'll just sing on top of it and then suddenly we have the makings of something great or you know after now we realize you know what this let's put this on the back burner and let's move on to something else so it's hard to say like if if those things inspire us in the writing process you know because i think that's that can be a bit more pure uh but you know a lot of the times i'll say like okay imagine a scenario where we have five thousand people who are singing this back to us you know which hasn't happened yet but hopefully it will happen but i say imagine a scenario where this is the song that's going to make 5,000 people listen to us, you know, what are they going to sing at that point? You know, what, and then, and then what are they going to feel? Are people going to be jumping at this point? Like, what, what do you want them to be doing? What do you want? How do you want the listener to feel in this time? And then sometimes that helps us sort of in a reverse sort of psychology way, like, oh, you know what, like, this does feel like a good moment, you know? And sometimes it helps by saying, you know, I can't imagine, I can't imagine like a, a universal feeling for this. I think this is too niche. I think this lyric is too personal or, or doesn't make any sense. And so let's change it. So we do sort of look at the live element and think, how does that, how does this song affect that scenario? You know, so we do do that sometimes, just sort of dreaming, you know. But it does yeah. sound like a really collaborative process. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is a collaborative. I mean, I do all the production. Uh, and most of the songs sort of stem from myself and the singer and 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 uh, and obviously the bass player comes in and, and he's involved as well. But, uh, you know, a lot of our most of the music, most of the material from the last three, four years is written by just the three of us. And we have done a lot of co-writing in the past, but and we will do some in the future. But so so when it comes to the writing of the songs, even if we even if we uh, co-write with another songwriter, for example, you know, the, the foundation of the song or the song title or the, you know, the main, you know, the, the main material still comes from Killian. And it's just a case of sort of molding and, and assisting and bringing someone in who understands him and sort of like can elaborate on it and, and grow the song, you know, maybe from, you know, from here to here, 
Um, so we've done that a few times and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work at all. But the writing process is quite pure. And then when it comes to production, you know, I just sort of, you know, I, I don't have, a, I don't really have a sort of boundaries or, or specifications. I just sort of see where it takes me. But, you know, we're not a metal band, you know, we're not a pop band. You know, we sort of see ourselves in sort of alternative realm, which is cool in the way because we can sort of try a lot of things and play around with a lot of things. And, and, and we don't really care if people think, oh, it sounds too pop here or it sounds too rock there. I think the overall song or the overall material, you know, whether it's an album or a group of songs feels in that sort of commercial alternative category. And that's, that's the main goal. We want to know a little bit about your most recent uh, releases. So let's talk a little bit about In the Reflection of Blood, which uh, yes. you said was about gun violence. Yes, yes. Um, that's an interesting one. I guess that it, it, we released it recently, but the sort of the initial lyric was sort of from about, I think, yeah, over over a year ago. And it was, it was, it was like, I guess it was it, the inspiration came from uh, that event that took place in Las Vegas, where it was about, you know, gun shooting. And, and so it was sort of a play on that and an interpretation on that and a sort of bird's eye view on that situation, you know, um, which, which obviously has a heavy effect on a lot of people. And uh, I'm always open to sort of, I, I, I do like the darker side of, of uh, songwriting, you know, uh, and uh, Killian is definitely, you know, he's, he, he definitely has a lot of things that he wants to write about. And, and I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm always pushing him to sort of, you know, go to the boundary and, you know, if, you know, is this something that we should talk about? Is this something that we shouldn't talk about? I think in general, we sort of stay away from politics and things like that because everyone's got an opinion. Um, but, you know, as, as a British person, I think the whole gun thing is quite bizarre, you know, because growing up in England, you know, no one had guns, you know, but here it's like, I guess people think it's the right to have a gun, all that stuff. So it's definitely a different perspective. So I'm open to sort of uh, having material about that subject specifically, uh, but not really making a judgment on it, just sort of giving our interpretation and putting it out there, you know, so... So what was the writing process of that like? Like you said, this is kind of a um, a heavy issue, and I imagine the writing process is a little bit uh, more complicated than it would be writing just any other song. Yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely was stemming from a lyric, and um, there was a line in a, it was a, it was that that was actually written on an acoustic guitar, and uh, this song was initially initially called Rosemary. But which is actually there's a lyric in the song which which contains that word but um it was one of the songs that was written acoustically and then and uh, i was very intrigued by one of the lines in it and then it was basically the he you know couldn't explain that that line specifically was referencing what was happening and what had happened in in vegas at that time uh and i thought it was i thought there was there was a couple of great metaphors in there as well instead of being direct about it so uh, it was just, an, it was a song that we, me and him wrote acoustically. And then we actually had a voice note of it for a year. And we just sort of said, all right, we'll get to this, you know. And last year, you know, we finished the song pretty much. So the music and, and rough vocal was done a couple, you know, a year and a half ago. And um, uh, when, when last year happened and we sort of had more time in the studio, we just had to sort of uh, finish it off. And re-record some of the vocals and 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 that was it. It was a pretty simple thing to do. 
and uh, and and also musically, you know, I, f- I felt that there should be some sort of atmospheric, darker elements to it. And I love those sounds in general. So it was definitely like a good kind of meshing of, of that musical style with that sort of dark lyric. So tell us a little bit more about your more recent piece then pieces that just came out in January. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely, I would say touching on more of the political, political side. It's not political, but in a way, I think somehow everything is political now. So it's like either or, um, but it's, yeah, it's like, it's almost, a re- it's a reflection on the last couple of years, really. doesn't matter which side you're on. doesn't matter if you're a raging conservative or a raging liberal, you know, I think everyone sort of sees the last couple of years in the same way. It's just in tatters and just pieces. And, and so doesn't matter which way you look at it. I think that's, that's pretty obvious. And, uh, so that's sort of uh, our interpretation of that. And, um, you know, um, it was one of the more simple songs to do. You know, the chorus is pretty simple and the verses are in a bit more detailed, a bit more descriptive. And it's just, you know, very, it's one of the more simple songs that we've done. Usually we try and we, we, we don't mind elaborating and, and like going a bit complicated in like bridges and, and doing different things. But we just thought, you know what, this feels right to just keep it really simple you know, finish this song with another chorus and just sort of go into an outro. And, and, um, and we also had sort of fake drums on it. And, and, and I thought it would be great to get a bit of live energy on there in terms of drums. So the guy that we play with live, you know, I, we, I went to Nashville and we recorded uh, live drums for it, which I think gives it a different energy. And so, you know, it, 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 we wanted to start with a bang. I think once we once we had the the kind of balls, the sort of like that's what we see in English, the balls of it uh, down. Um, we kind of knew that this would be a good starting point for this year, you know, uh, sort of reflection on 2020, but also let's move forward, you know, let's 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 get out of this shithole <laughs> that we're in, and let's and let's sort of be positive about the future. So talking about being a little bit more positive about the future. Um, hopefully we're, we're done with COVID and whatnot sooner rather than later. Um, what are you guys looking forward to with that? Like, what do you think that first show back is going to be like? I think it's, everyone's going to be wearing masks (laughs) apart from us. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. We'll see what they make us do, but I think everyone's going to be wearing masks, but I think that, you know, the energy is going to be insane. I think, I hope. You know, I think by that point, you know, we're lucky a lot of our shows in Europe, we, we have a bit of a younger fan base, you know, so anything from 16 to, to 25, I think that's sort of like a good average there. And that's that's a young population. I think luckily for us, the young population isn't as affected by what's going on in terms of health. Um, and so that there's this desperation, I think, just to get out there. That's how I feel as a musician, you know, is someone who wants to perform and we also speak to a lot of our fans and and communicate you know on social media you know about a lot of the music we put out and about getting back on the road it seems like you know people are just ready you know as long as they feel good they feel protected and and as long as you know things aren't out of hand i think that the energy is going to be insane and and uh you know i don't know if we're playing to a full room or we're playing to a half full room but at this point you know 
we'll do whatever as long as there's people in there who are who are watching and you know we can get on stage and play so and what can we expect music wise in the year 2021 from charming liars oh yeah you know i think in terms of putting out music we're going to put out music every month you know, put out a song every month, which is what we did last year for the first time. And I think that pretty much kept us afloat, you know, because um, if you were Muse or Foo Fighters or Kings of Leon or Foles or whatever it is, you can get away with putting out these albums and doing these album cycles because you have such a huge fan base that they will support you and that you can tour for 18 months doing that. But for the younger bands, I think there's so much music. There's so many young artists that if we put out an album, I think, just naturally after a month or two it falls to the wayside so we have to keep in in front of people we have to keep releasing music keep you know popping up in their algorithms and and for us as well a big part of it is playlisting on places like spotify and apple music and you know if we if we put out music constantly and we put out good music constantly i think we can keep sort of getting that exposure on those playlists and ultimately that helps us grow our fan base which we normally do playing shows, you know? So last year was difficult because we had a lot of shows and tours planned and, and we still planned on releasing music the same way. So all the music we put out last year, we were gonna put out last year anyway, but we would have just had fans to play to and to promote the songs to. So I think our growth would have been exponential. And when all the, this COVID stuff started happening, I think, we, you know, we looked at goals realistically and said, if we can if we can keep the fan base that we have and grow it a bit, that'll be a successful year, especially in a year where there's so much, so many artists putting out music. And so we did that, and we, I think we did a bit better than we thought. And now we continue doing the same, you know, a song every month, and hopefully summer onwards we'll be able to play shows again, and we can, you know, make even more fans and grow our fan base. You know, so that's kind of what we hope uh, this year will look like. Sydney. Any other questions? Uh, Koenig, where can we find you on the internet? Where can we find the band? Where can we follow you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got, that's that's always a great question to, to end on. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Uh, we've got all the we've got all the social media sites, you know, that that most people are on. Uh, you know, Twitter is just you know, charming lie. It's all a variation of the word charming liars, <laughs> the the two words charming liars. Uh, on on Instagram, we've got the same thing, uh, and on Facebook and, and all of our videos, which we 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 actually put out quite a quite a few videos uh, are on YouTube, obviously, and we actually are putting out a, a video every month of uh, a live series that we did last year. So that that that's also uh, the visual element that we would love to be getting in, in like live show experience, but obviously we can't. So we put out those live videos. Uh, of the songs we put out last year and so that's on YouTube and um, you know the website which I think I don't know how relevant websites are at the moment you know because people get everything from everywhere else but that's charminglies.com simple <laughs> and uh, we also all have personal Instagram accounts and and you know anyone can reach reach out to us on there and we're, we're, we're great on there and uh, you know we want more people doing that but uh, yeah, so all the general social media sites and it's it's Charming Liars. Uh, and if it's not Charming Liars, it's like Charming underscore Liars or Charming Liars music, you know, the original stuff. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, Carnig Manukian from Charming Liars, thank you so much for being on with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.